using the English Standard Version, so it's going to be a little different from what's in the Pew Bible. Uh, but let's go there again. We're, again, we're in James 2, verses 14 through 26. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, James has some pretty strong words here. And I think it's a challenging text on a number of levels, challenging uh, theologically speaking and challenging to us in our lives. And his main point, we can see several different times he restates it, but in verse 17, he says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So basically, his big point in this passage is real faith, Saving faith will have works. It will show itself in righteous living. And faith without that evidence in the life is not saving faith. So, our big point tonight is saving faith manifests itself in righteous living. Now, we're going to look and see how James puts his argument together and, and what exactly he's saying. And so the first thing he says is, faith is more than words. Faith is more than just saying you've got faith. He says in verse 14, what good is it if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? He says basically, it's just like seeing a person in need of food and clothing and say, oh, I sure hope you get some food, and, and I sure hope that, that you get clothes, and then you don't do anything about it. It's really easy to say those things to that person, but it's another thing entirely to actually give them what they need. And James says, faith is like that. It's really easy to say you've got faith, but it's another thing altogether to actually possess it and to live it out. He says, if you've got real faith, it's going to be more than just saying you've got faith. And I think this has big implications for us um, as evangelicals. Um, we have, and, and I, I praise the Lord that, that this church has, has 
um, uh, doesn't has not embraced this system of of accepting professions of faith as the be all end all evidence of conversion, where we have an altar call and we have a number of people come and 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 pray a prayer and fill out a card and we say okay you're in. And then they disappear, and we have no idea where they went. And, you know, there are millions of people on church rolls in America who did that, who are not genuinely saved because they're, who knows where, away from the church, away from the Lord. But because we have gone against what James says here and and accepted a profession, a, a word saying that they've got faith as the real evidence, um, we have given them false assurance. So it's a big deal that we realize that faith is more than making a profession of faith. Faith is a life that changes. Um, So that's our first point. Faith is more than words. Our second point is faith is more than an inside thing. Verse 18, James says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, here's what I think he's saying here. He's saying, Is it possible for you to show me your faith apart from works? Now, think about it. Is it possible? I mean, how can you show, how can you demonstrate faith if you have no works? All you have is words, right? All you can do is say, well, I've got faith that's inside of me. And James says, no, that, that's not good enough. Just like we saw, talk is cheap. You can't just say you have faith. You have to live it. And so now he's, he's going further and saying it's not just an inside thing. It's going to come out. And the only way that real faith is demonstrated is in works or in deeds um, in the actions of your life so faith is inseparable from your actions jesus said um, in matthew seven seventeen, every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree bears bad fruit if your life looks like you don't have genuine faith then you don't have genuine faith no matter how many times you say i believe it's inside of me What's inside of you is going to come out, says Jesus. So real faith is more than just an inside thing. It's an outside thing. It shows itself on the outside. And third, faith is more than a mental thing. Faith is more than agreeing with facts. Verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So here he's saying good doctrine is not enough. He says the demons have good doctrine, and honestly, they probably have good doctrine than most of us because they realize who God is, and they realize who they are in light of God. And they tremble with fear for God and his holiness. And obviously, they're not living by faith. They're demons They're living in rebellion against God. And so it's clear that just knowing the right things about God, just knowing what the Bible has to say is not enough. Real faith has actions 
to back it up. It's not just good doctrine. So it's not just words, and it's not just uh, an inside thing, and it's not just mental agreement with facts. And so now, um, going on from verse 20, James gives us a couple of good examples of what faith looks like lived out in faithful lives. First example, Abraham. He says, wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So he says, Abraham's deeds, um, and in this particular example, his obedience to God in the matter of offering Isaac as a sacrifice validated his faith. And that's pretty clear. It's, it's clear that Abraham really had faith in God because he obeyed this seemingly outrageous command from God, this command that seemed to contradict what God had already promised, that, that Isaac was the son through whom God would perpetuate Abraham's family and, and make him a multitude, and God is saying, sacrifice him, yet Abraham obeys and shows that he believes God knows what he's doing. Abraham trusted God and proceeded with obeying him. So, he had faith in the promises and in the words of God and then acted on it, lived it out. And then the second example James gives is Rahab, who was the prostitute who opened her home to the Israelite spies when they came into Canaan. And she helped them escape from the Canaanite authorities when they came looking for them. Now, it seems like maybe this is kind of a random example, but I think that James is giving us sort of a classic example in Abraham and then another equally solid but maybe less well-known example in Rahab. Rahab shows her faith that God would protect her from the invasion and protect her from the destruction coming to her city by welcoming the foreigners into her home. So faith worked itself out in her life as well. Now, it, seem, it might seem to you like I'm kind of avoiding the big thing here, which is James says, Abraham, our father, was justified by works. So we need to stop and deal with this. He says three times that a person is justified by works. And if you think back to Paul and what he says in Ephesians and in Romans, he says we're justified by Grace through faith alone, apart from works. So, this is the point where James' doctrine is called into question. And this is the point where Martin Luther disagreed so strongly with James that he said, James doesn't even belong in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to claim to be a better theologian than Martin Luther. But I will say that if we believe that all scripture is inspired by God... And if we believe that God has handed us down the scriptures as they are, then we have to deal with this passage and find some way to reconcile it with what Paul says about justification by faith alone. And I think that a key is Paul's use of Abraham as an example in Romans 4. So turn to Romans 4. Keep your finger there in James and turn to Romans 4. 
just like James uses Abraham as an example of somebody who worked out his faith, Paul uses Abraham as an example of somebody who was justified by faith alone apart from works. So we're going to read Romans 4, 1 through 5. Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, it sounds like here, Paul is saying the exact opposite of what James has been saying. Paul's saying Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith. Abraham was one who did not work, but trusted him who justifies the ungodly. And if you look back to chapter 3, in verse 28, Paul says, Man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. But James says, Abraham was justified by works. So what's going on here? I think it comes down to how we understand the word justified in Paul and in James. If James is using the word justified in the same sense that Paul is in Romans 4, then these two are directly contradictory. But we can't accept that because this is a huge deal. This is our salvation that's at stake, and God is not going to contradict himself in such a big way on such a big point. So I think that a key to understanding what James is getting at is in verse 23 of chapter 2. He quotes the same verse from Genesis that Paul quoted in Romans 4. Paul quotes the verse to prove that Abraham was justified by faith apart from works. And James quotes the same verse. Genesis 15:6. it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that verse is pretty clear in what it's saying. It's saying that God counted Abraham righteous because of his faith. It, it's, it contradicts the idea that Abraham worked to achieve righteousness. God counted Abraham righteous. And that is justification in the classic sense, in the sense that we mean when we talk about salvation, that we're justified in God's sight. That means he counts us right with himself. And James quotes this verse agreeing with Paul that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he says this scripture was fulfilled in, in Abraham's obedience. Verse 23, look at it. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's saying in Abraham's obedience... He fulfilled this passage, this, this uh, statement. All right, hold that thought and look back to verse 22. He says, you see that faith was active 
along with his works, Abraham's works, and faith was completed by his works. Now, this verse makes it seem like James is saying salvation is by faith plus works. Because he's saying faith was active along with his works. And again, that contradicts Paul, who says that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works altogether. And so again, if we get verse 23, we can get verse 22. If God justified Abraham by faith, which Genesis 15:6 is saying clearly, and this justification, this God counting Abraham righteous, if that was fulfilled in Abraham's obedience to God in sacrificing Isaac, then here's what we've got. We've got God's declaration, namely that Abraham is righteous, turning into Abraham's reality, namely that Abraham acts righteously. So God declares Abraham righteous, and Abraham begins to live righteously. And so if we understand verse 23 this way, then verse 22 fits in perfectly. We can see that Abraham was justified by faith. He was made right with God by faith. He continued to walk by faith. And he acted the way he did because he believed God's promises and God's declaration about him, that declaration that he was righteous. So in this sense, faith was active with his works. He wasn't working to make himself righteous, so his works weren't empty works. They weren't dead works. They were works of faith. And in that sense, faith was active in his works, and faith was completed by his works, meaning that his faith was proved genuine by the actions that he did. So what can we say James means when he says Abraham and Rahab were justified by works? I think we can say that he means that the kind of faith that leads to justification, that is saving faith, is always validated or evidenced by works. And so they were, and we are, justified by works in the sense that our faith can be judged genuine by our works, which is exactly what James is saying in verse 17 and in verse 20 and in verse 26 when he says faith by itself if it doesn't have works is dead and when he says faith apart from works is useless and when he says just as the body apart from the spirit is dead so faith apart from works is dead real faith is inseparable from works and so faith is proved genuine by works so Maybe we've come to a bit clearer understanding of what James is saying. It's a, it's a tricky thing, this passage. But once we've got this something close to right understanding of the passage, it's still easy to go astray. It's still easy to go into error. Think about this. If it's absolutely necessary for our lives to demonstrate our faith, which James is saying it is, then we might easily begin to do stuff simply for the purpose of showing to other people that our faith is genuine. And I don't think this is what James is getting at here. 
and that comes from the larger context of James that we've been seeing uh, through the previous sermons. His larger context is he's outlining principles of Christian morality. He is speaking to his people as a pastor, giving them guidelines for how to live as Christians. And so this passage is at the center of his exhortations to the believers, reminding them that we can't just go around saying we've got faith, but not doing anything about it, living however we want to. Real change will be present in the life of a true believer. If you are truly saved by faith, and if you're truly walking by faith, then your life will show it. And so the point is not to get us to focus on the quantity of our works, but it's to get us to focus on the quality of our faith. So how do we apply this to ourselves? I think we need to ask a couple of questions. And the first thing is, do I really believe the gospel? Do I really have this genuine faith that James is talking about? And this is the first question because we've got to get our hearts right before we start to look at our lives. If we try to change our lives without a heart change, then we end up like Pharisees, making a bunch of rules up so we can whitewash the outside of the tomb when what's inside is dead and decaying. So in order to really answer this question, do I believe the gospel, we need to remember what the gospel is. And so let's review together. Um, The gospel starts with God, and Paul says this about God in a sort of summary statement in 1 Timothy 6. He says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So this God, the King of the universe, the blessed and only sovereign, has created the world and has created us, men, in his image. But we rebelled against him. And we see that in Romans 10, perhaps the clearest of of any scriptures. Paul quotes from the Old Testament, Romans 3, rather. Um, He says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this is a pretty grim picture. And this is all of us. This is God's creations who have turned against him. And then God, the one against whom we rebelled, the one against whom we swore ourselves as enemies, turned and made a way for us to be reunited with him, made right with him in Jesus, and 
few scriptures sum it up better than 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God works this great exchange that our sin is traded for Jesus' righteousness. Jesus pays for our sin, and we get all the benefits of his perfect righteousness. And this is the gospel, that this great God who created us also made a way for us to be made right with him in Jesus. And so ask yourself, do I really believe these things? Does this warm my heart to hear these things? Do I rejoice in them? Do I look to Jesus as the sole source of my salvation? And then once you've answered that question, You have to keep going because James says, if that's true, if you believe it, you're going to show it. So the second question is, how does my life demonstrate my faith? What evidence is there in my life of what I believe? How well am I living what I believe? And James gives us um, the beginnings of some examples in Abraham and Rahab. We see complete obedience we see a willingness to abandon everything for the sake of following god's commands and so there's a good place to start how's your obedience how's your obedience to the ten commandments how's your obedience to the great commission how's your obedience to the commands to praise the lord and and sing his praise and rejoice in him Obedience is the first sign, James says in this passage, of our true faith, that we follow God in obedience. But if we look through the rest of the book of James, we can see other evidences of real faith. We saw last Sunday that real faith is steadfast under trial in the beginning of chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So, What about this? Do you endure when trials come? Do you look to God to work them for your good? Do you rejoice that he's testing your faith? Or do you complain? Do you question God's wisdom? Do you question his sovereignty? How do you deal with trials? Real faith endures and is steadfast. In the end of chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, real faith listens to the word and obeys it. We saw the obedience in Abraham and Rahab. So do you enjoy hearing the word and reading the word and studying the word? Do you linger over the word? And when you read it and hear it and study it, do you take the time to apply what you hear to your life? And then do you take the time and the effort in your life to live out what you learned? Or are you... Even right now, checking your watch or wondering how much more of this we have to go. Do you rebel against the sense of conviction that comes when the word confronts your sin? Or do you submit to it and repent? How we deal with the word is an evidence of our faith. Real faith listens to the word and obeys it. A third thing we can see in verse 27 of chapter 1 Real faith 
cares for the needy. So what about this? Do you give joyfully to those who ask of you? Do you visit the lonely? Do you see a need and immediately work to find a way to fulfill it? Or do you consider it a chore or a burden to give to the poor, to those who need it? Real faith will care for those who are in need, and especially those within the body of Christ who are in need. A fourth thing uh, in the first part of chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, real faith loves its neighbor. And in particular, real faith loves all of its neighbors equally. So, do you love and care for all people who come through these doors? For all people whom you're around daily? Or do you pick and choose the ones that you like and dislike? Are you more friendly to people who are more well-dressed? Are you less friendly to the ones who are less well-dressed? Do you act equally friendly to your crabby next-door neighbor as to your best friend? Or do you act equally crabby to your next-door neighbor as he does to you? Real faith loves its neighbor and loves all neighbors equally. Another thing, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, real faith tames its tongue. So, this is a real challenge. Do you speak most often with joyful and loving words? Do you speak of Jesus often? Do you love to speak encouraging and kind words to others and about others? Or do you spend your words complaining or criticizing or gossiping about others? Real faith speaks uh, faithfully and with good speech. And the last thing that we can see in several places in the book of James, he keeps returning to it, is real faith places its treasures in heaven. And this one hits home for me big time. And I think for a lot of us in the culture we live in, it should hit home really hard. In uh, chapter 2, when he's talking about partiality, an underlying message is, you're valuing the material possessions if you're more friendly to the people who are more well-dressed. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he talks about worldliness and being a friend of the world. And he says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And then in chapter 5, 1 through 6, he talks again. He talks to the rich who are hoarding up possessions and and who are robbing others in order to get more stuff. So, how about this? Do you consider an opportunity to spend yourself for the kingdom of God a loss or a gain? Do you invest yourself more fully in people who can give you something in return than in those who can give you nothing? Are you greedy? Are you working to get more and more stuff? Are you willing to enter morally shaky territory in order to gain a buck or in order to save a buck? Do your prayers center around earthly things? That's one thing that James mentions in chapter 4. Or do you seek the kingdom of God? Do you give and expect nothing in return? 
Or do you, do you indulge yourself or do you give of yourself? So these are just a few things that, that real faith does. Just a few aspects of a real Christian life. So how do you measure up? I mean, the New Testament is filled with even more of these. Um, and if you find yourself out of conformity with these few, then maybe it's a good idea to go back to the first question we asked and say, do I really believe the gospel? I'm not saying you've got to be perfect because none of us is going to be perfect. But I am saying, and James is saying, and God is saying through James, that if you really believe the gospel, your life will be different. So maybe you are a genuine believer, but you still know that you have a lot farther to go. Well, that's a good thing. All of us have a lot farther to go, and none of us is left alone. We all have the spirit within us, and we all have the truth that Jesus has defeated sin for us. He's defeated its power, and he's, defeated, he, he's paid its penalty, and he's set us free from it so that we can live out our faith. We can live for him. And remember, we're not talking about legalism here, because legalism is when we believe that God's favor toward us rests on our performance. In other words, when we act like we've got to do good stuff for God to be good to us. God was good to us way before we ever cared anything about him. He was good to us when Jesus died for us. And he came to us and saved us without our ever seeking after him. So it's not about our performance. It's about his grace. And that is what sets us free to live real Christian lives. That as we begin to look to Jesus and what he's done, we begin to look like Jesus. Just like, he, just like we saw that Abraham began to believe God, God counted him righteous, and he began to live righteously. So as we believe God and believe in Jesus and what he's done for us and keep looking to him, we begin to look like him and begin to act like him and begin to live in love to him. As we continue to look to God in faith, we will begin to become what he's declared about us, that we are righteous in Christ. So the conclusion is this. Faith without works is dead, but faith in Jesus, faith that continues to look to Jesus, is alive and it will live itself out in your life when you possess it. So look to Jesus and see him work his image in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have set us free from sin, from its authority and from its penalty. Thank you that you've set us free from rules and, and legalism. And thank you that you give us real 
faith that by your spirit you change our hearts and you give us the ability to obey you and you give us the desire to obey you. Father, I pray that tonight uh, our hearts would be refreshed by the news of the gospel and that we would renew our desire and our commitment to follow you and obey you fully and to live like we believe the gospel. And Father, as we leave here, let us look to Jesus. And as we get up in the morning, let us look to Jesus. And as we go through our day tomorrow and every day, let us look to Jesus and let us believe and let us live righteously as you have called us to. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.